0: Amen. Praise the Lord. Good to see each of you here this morning. And uh, as we get started into the message, I want to ask you a question. Have any of you in this building ever been duped by someone or something? Well, let me go ahead and give you a real-life example of that. If you received an email from me this past week, I hope you just disregarded it. Um, One of the things that I want to share with you is... Matter of fact, it sounded just a little bit too good to be true. How many of you ever heard that before? If it sounds too good to be true, then it probably ain't true. I thought it was interesting that that happened as we're coming into chapter number 3 of 1 Thessalonians as Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. Because if I were to put a title to the first part of chapter 3, it would be this, duped by the tempter. And that's what Paul was concerned about. Does it happen today? It does. And let me say this about those emails. If you get an email from me to you, uh, please disregard it. Any messages that came out or come out from this church surrounding any of the ministries here will come out of the office up here, and it will come out from Gail or Marvin, but it will not have my name on there generally. It will be down in the body. So if you see something that says like Pastor robert.ascension baptist at com. that is not my email address okay and uh, but we have been uh, duped again and uh, so just disregard that but is, is it easy to be duped by someone or something you think so how many of y'all ever have been how many of y'all wouldn't raise your hand if you had or hadn't okay <laughs> because you're afraid you might be duped by something I'm getting ready to say. Paul's concern for the church at Thessalonica was just that, that they would be duped by the tempter. Now, I understand and realize that as we come to chapter number 3, what I'm going to share with you this morning is going to sound almost like what we just finished at the end of chapter number 2, when Paul made the statement about coming back to Thessalonica he said, "We wanted to come to you, but we couldn't because of Satan." Well, there's three things that I want to share with you out of First Thessalonians chapter three this morning that we're going to go through, and I want to draw your attention to from the text as we come to chapter three of First Thessalonians, beginning in verse number one. One of the things that Paul is really going to do at this point is he's going to really open his heart. Because if you look at the very first part of verse number 1, you see a word at the beginning of verse 1, it's the word therefore. So going back to verse 17, of everything that he has just said, as you come to verse 1, as you come to the therefore, one of the things that Paul said back in chapter 2 in verse 17, "But but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope, our joy, or crown of exultation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, he says in chapter 3, verse 1, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. As you come to chapter number three, Paul is getting ready to really open his heart. And one of the things that we're going to be able to see is to get this, get this inside view of Paul and his real concern, express concern for the church that was in Thessalonica, for the Thessalonian believers that, that were there, that they're not and don't allow themselves to be duped by Satan. Because that's exactly what he is out to do. Matter of fact, one of the things in uh, the Gospel of John, as Jesus was speaking about the shepherd and the sheepfold, one of the things he said about the thief uh, that comes in not through the gate, but he, the thief, all the time is out to to steal and to destroy and to kill. That's 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 who he is. And so we're going to get insight into this and Paul's grave concern for the believers that were in Thessalonica well what was Paul's great concern here well let me share this with you his his great concern was that the tempter would lead them away away from their walk of faith and basically back to pagan worship that was one of the things that took place in this area in this region pagan worship was was it just was it was at the top of the list and so the Thessalonians that were there, and, and in this region, in this area, pagan worship was, was a, a way of everyday life. And the Thessalonians and the believers that were there as they now began to follow Jesus Christ and salvation came to, to their lives, Paul's concern was that they would be drawn away from that walk of faith, So there are three things that we're going to see from the passage this morning. The first thing is, is Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. As we saw earlier, they made their journey from Thessalonica down to Berea, from Berea to Athens, and eventually they wound up in Corinth. And so Paul, writing the letter probably to the church at Thessalonica from Corinth, Paul spent time in Athens... As he made his journey on, he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on those that were there. Verse 2 is an interesting verse because we're given some things in verse 2 that I think are very important for us. And so he says, And so we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. And then you come down to verse 3, so that no one would be disturbed or shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. You know what's interesting is he sends Timothy back. He sends Timothy back with a resume, wanting the church at Thessalonica to know that he's coming back uh, representing and, 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 and to the same level that the Apostle Paul when he was there, and he wanted the, the the church at Thessalonica to understand that when Timothy came back, he was coming back under the same level even that Paul was when he was, when he was there but there 's a couple of things in verse two and one in verse three that I want you I want you to notice in verse number two, he says, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith to strengthen and to encourage you as to your faith. And then the first part of verse number three, and so that no one would be disturbed or shaken by these afflictions. In other words, you're not going to allow them to shake you, to disturb you, to dupe you from where you should be in your walk with Jesus Christ. So what was going on here in Thessalonica? Well, the believers faced both affliction as well as temptation and you see that in verse number 3 so that no one would be disturbed or shaken by these afflictions and then look down at verse number 5 for this reason when I can endure it no longer I also sent to find out about your faith and notice what he says in verse 5 for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain Paul's concern for the seriousness of, of both the the strengthening, the the encouraging, the the afflictions that were there. You know, Paul's genuine concern for all of that was at the magnitude. And, and I'm gonna tell you something here's what's difficult for you to draw from chapter number three. In the in, in the Greek text that's there, in the in the magnitude of that concern for the Apostle Paul is it such a magnitude that that our English words just cannot begin to describe for us the full impact of what Paul was feeling for the believers in Thessalonica. He understood. He knew what the persecution was about. He knew what was going on. He knew how powerful even Satan himself was in drawing them away from their walk. And so, Paul's concern for the believers in Thessalonica let me let me say this to you this morning that ought to be our concern today it should be our same concern today for the believers in the church that we're not led away that we understand that there's affliction that we understand that there's temptation and to understand just what it takes to stand up against all of that and not allow ourselves to be duped by satan himself Because I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes I don't think we understand the magnitude of that. And so Paul's concern for this seriousness of what was taking place in Thessalonica was to send Timothy back to check on them, to see where they were. And so Timothy, consider being Timothy. Timothy has been under the tutelage of Paul. He has seen several things happen, and now he's going back on his own to Thessalonica to check on a work that Paul had started in Thessalonica. Imagine the magnitude of the responsibility that that was now on the shoulders of Timothy as he goes back to check on those believers that were in Thessalonica. And so Paul wants them to make sure and understand that Timothy, as he's coming back, is coming back under the same level that I was there when I was there, and it was needful. Did Paul want to know what was going on in Thessalonica? He did. He was concerned about where they were. He's been gone. He's been departed from there for a little while, desiring to go back to check on them. They have been left pretty much to themselves. Timothy's not there yet. Silas is gone. Paul is gone. They've got this new walk in the faith, and so Paul was definitely concerned about where they were. And number two this morning... Paul clearly understood the tempter's capabilities. In chapter number 2, the end of chapter number 2, we spoke about how Paul was absolutely clear who the adversary was. He knew who the adversary was. But one of the things that we're going to see as we come to chapter number 3 is Paul also understood the capabilities of the tempter. I think sometimes we kind of, we know who he is, but do we realize his power and I think sometimes we kind of short-side that. Understanding and thinking that, oh, we, we've got this. We can, we can take care of this. It's, it's no big deal. I mean, once or twice kind of moving to this side or moving away from this. Once or twice isn't going to hurt. I can stand up. Satan doesn't have control over me. He doesn't have any power over me. Really? Here's what Paul's concern is at Thessalonica is that they may be duped by the tempter himself. To lead them away from what? To lead them away from the truth of the gospel in their walk with Jesus Christ. Let me say something to you this morning. Satan is powerful. Satan is alive and well. Satan is active today. Now I will say this, Satan is not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's a created being. But one of the things that you need to understand is this world, he is the prince and the power of the air. That's who he is. And he has his demons as well. Is he powerful? Sure he is. And how does he do it? He does it through temptation. He does it through doubt. Doubt leads to fear. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Doubt comes. Fear comes. Pretty soon it leads to idolatry, to where we've been drawn away from God, and now ourselves are put in place of where God should be. And so we find ourselves very easily today, if we're not careful, to be duped by the tempter as well. And so Paul's concern for the church at Thessalonica was very well founded and understood. But let's look at it. What are some of his capabilities? Let's go to Second Corinthians. Paul wrote the letter to the church at Corinth. In his second letter, Second Corinthians chapter number 2. And I will say this, Satan was always in the back of Paul's mind and kept at a very safe uh, distance. Understanding and realizing who he was, understanding that the adversary, he knew who the adversary was. And understanding the capabilities of the adversary. One of the things that you need to understand, and one of the things that is taught constantly over and over and over again, even in the military, you need to know who your enemy is. And you need to understand and be aware of what their capabilities are in order to be able to put together a defense against the enemy. Well, my dear friend, listen to me. As believers today, that's one of the other things that we need to understand and know. We need to know who he is. We need to understand what his capabilities are. And so, therefore, to be on guard constantly in our lives against who he is. Well, notice in Paul's letter to the church of Corinth, his second letter, beginning in verse number 9, notice what he says. For to this end also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ. And here's the reason, verse number 11. So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. And notice what he says. For we are not ignorant of his scheme. Do we understand? You know, I I don't think I don't think anybody in this building this morning has any problem understanding who he is. But I think sometimes we're a little short-sighted on the power that he holds within his control. And so Paul said, "So that we don't provide any advantage that could be taken by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his schemes." Well, look at chapter four. Paul continues to talk about the adversary. He continues to talk about the enemy. Verse 1 of chapter 4 of Second Corinthians. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world, y'all don't like the who? The God of this world has done what? Has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That he might be able to blind the minds of them. So that, they, so that they can't see. They can't see the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. My dear friend, listen to me. Satan's no dummy. Satan knows exactly where things are. Are you ready for this? Satan Satan knows the word. We see that from Genesis chapter number 3. What happened with Eve? Satan came to Eve, and what did he begin to get her to do? To doubt the very word that God had spoken to her. And so therefore, when she saw the tree, she saw that it was good for food and to make one wise, and it just goes down through the list. And before long, here's where she found herself, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And my dear friend, listen to me. That is the step by which every sin leads us through. Doubt comes. Fear comes. Next, idolatry becomes, or comes. And before long, we find ourselves where now self has been placed where God should be. So that's what Paul was concerned about. Well, if that's not enough, turn to chapter 11 and look at verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 13 through verse 15. For such men are false prophets, or apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Now look at verse 14. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as the angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. To transform themselves into the angel. Hey, it looks good on the outside, but my dear friend, listen to me, just because you put God's name on something doesn't mean that he's a part of it. That's what we have to understand. That's what we have to deal with. And so Paul, in his concern... For the believers in Thessalonica, he understood the capabilities of the adversary. And so therefore to be on guard. So let's go back to Second Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 3. First Thessalonians, chapter number 3. And Timothy is going to return with the report let's let's begin in verse number 4 1st Thessalonians 3 beginning in verse 4 for indeed when we were with you we kept telling you in advance kept telling them what well if you go back to verse 14 of chapter number 1 you will see for you brethren became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea for you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen even as they did from the Jews So in other words, affliction, persecution, the subject of all of this was not something that was new. And my dear friend, it's not anything that's new for you and I today either. We understand affliction, we understand persecution, and we understand suffering. And matter of fact, we understand what it means to be able to be drawn away from walking the way that we should walk in our lives each and every day. Does it occur? It does. It's something that we need to be on guard about? So Timothy goes, and Timothy's going to return. Verse 5, For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, Longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. You know, that's an interesting verses there. But I want to I paint something for you. I want you to notice the phrase in verse number 7, through your faith, about you through your faith. That's an interesting phrase there because it picks up from verse 6. When you look back up at verse number 6, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, verse 7 through your faith and let me tell you what it does it leads us then to the emotion that's in verse 8 so what did did this create in Paul well it spoke about their faith in verse 6 spoke about their faith in verse number 7 and it led to the emotion of verse number 8 for now notice what he says for now we really live now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord you know That that phrase, we really now live, let me tell you what it does. It's encouraged Paul's heart to see that their faith is strong. When Timothy went back to see that they're still walking in the path, and all of the time that Paul had spent with them and been gone from them, they were still trusting in the Lord, still walking in the way that Paul had led them. They were still on the path that they needed to be. Their faith was still strong. Their faith was still in place. And let me tell you what it did. It encouraged Paul's heart let me tell you what it ought to do for us it ought to encourage our hearts when we see the church when we see believers still walking in the path that they've been led to and they've been taught from and and see how encouraged and important it is in their own heart, to see them get excited about the gospel let me ask you a question are you excited about the gospel are you excited about the things of god Are you excited about the faithfulness of God? Are you excited about the people of God? Are you excited about the Word of God? Are you excited about the truth that the Word of God holds? Are you excited about seeing people get involved with the gospel? Are you excited about seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? Are you excited about the things of God? Paul said, now we can really live. Why? Because their faith was still strong. Even in the midst of persecution, in the midst of affliction, in the midst of distress, in the midst of all of those things. Paul says he comes to verse number 8, for this or for now we really live. So number one, Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on their faith. Number two, Paul clearly understood the tempter's capabilities. And then number three, Paul celebrates the good news that's brought back by Timothy. Let me tell you what you see. You see a shift from distress to delight. You see Paul's heart as it's encouraged. Look at verse 9 and 10. For what thanks can we render to God for you? And my dear friend, let me share this with you. The debt is owed to God here. Not to Paul. It's owed to God. Who did the work in the hearts of the Thessalonians? God did. Who did the work in their lives? God did. Who keeps them? God does. That's what we need to understand. Who keeps us today? God keeps us. It's it's about God working in and through our lives. Listen, it's not about us. If we're not careful, doubt leads to fear. Fear can bring us to the point of idolatry where we replace God with ourselves. It's not about us keeping ourselves. It's about God keeping us through the power of the Holy Spirit of God when we surrender and submit ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit... Is often let out of the equation, is left out of the equation. But my dear friend, the Holy Spirit is necessary. The life that we have been called to live, a supernatural life. And let me just say this to you. Alone and by yourself, you have no power over Satan. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we do. And through the Word of God. For what things can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. In other words, to see them increase in their faith, to provide those things And spiritual maturity in their lives as they grow, and to provide what is necessary in that is lacking in their faith. Was it such a big deal? Sure it was. Let's go back to Acts chapter 18. We'll get a little bit of insight into what's taking place. Paul's at Corinth. as Paul writes this letter, chapter 18 of the book of Acts, verse number 1, and after these things he left Athens and he went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome he came to them because he was of the same trade he stayed with them and they were working for by trade they were tent makers and he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks then notice verse 5 but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia Paul began devoting himself completely to the word solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments, and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean For now on. I will go to the Gentiles. And so the account goes on. We see Timothy, and we see Silas. is still part of the ministry of Paul. And Paul's grave concern for the church in Thessalonica. You know, would today that we would be as concerned for the church for the faith of the church for the faith of believers as Paul was that we would find ourselves in the same with the same heart for those of the faith let's go back to 1 Thessalonians should we be? we should we should verse 11 through verse 13 For the third and the final time, Paul expresses his thanksgiving for their steadfastness in the faith. Third and final time he's going to. It's recorded here. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. Just as we also do for you so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. As one commentator wrote, here's what he said. He said, true Christian maturity is measured by the character of one's love, not the complexity of one's theology. There's a lot of truth in that. all understood their faith it was evidenced by the love that they had for each other in the church and paul says my desire is that you have that same love for all people how do we see people today let me ask you a question when you see people you know one of the things when i travel i don't know i've done this for years okay and uh back in the early part of my ministry time when i was doing a lot of counseling um, I mean, I, I I just I just I love watching people. Always have. And so one of the things when I used to travel all the time, and I'd get to the airports, you know, when you when you, back when I was traveling early on, you could get to the airport thirty minutes before you had to get on an airplane, get through the gate, get on the airplane, be on your way. Now you would be there three hours, and sometimes that ain't enough because they cancel your flight or they delay it. I know on one occasion just this past year I was trying to travel to Atlanta. We wound up staying in the airport an extra five and a half hours because it kept delaying the flight. Well, what do you do for five and a half hours at an airport? Huh? You can only walk up and down the concourses for so long, okay? And so here's what I would do. I'd sit, I'd sit in a chair where I could watch the aisles, you know, the concourses, and just watch people going back and forth. And I'd begin to ask myself questions like this. I wonder where they're going. And I could say, yep, they're late for their flight. They're getting ready to miss it. And y'all see that? Okay, guess what they're doing? They got this panic look on their face. They're running like they've never run before, dragging a bag. And then what's always exciting to see is if they've got little kids with them. I've actually seen this happen. They take the child, they put it on top of their suitcase, okay? And they're dragging this suitcase running down through the corridor, okay? Trying to get to the flight. The poor child is screaming at the top of their lungs (laughs) because they're having to ride on the back of this thing, okay? And the parent's trying to keep up with all of it. But watching all of these people coming and going, and even like today, watching, watching people... And I'll confess to you, okay, just learning who you are is something that's always interesting to me. Because sometimes when people make a statement or they make a comment, I'll say, I know exactly why they made that statement or or that comment, because that's who they are. That's their personality type. Aren't you glad God made everybody different? What if God made everybody like you? How many of y'all think that would be a perfect world? (laughs) Some hands are going up in this auditorium like, I'm really concerned. Do we understand that God made each one of us different? But he loves us all the same. And so therefore for you and I, okay, who are we to say I can't love them because they're different than who I am? The church at Thessalonica, did they love the people around them? Sure, people groups. We have different people groups around the world. Are any of them less important than we are? No, they're not. They're not. So when Paul said in verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Let me just say this. It was beyond expression for Paul. It was beyond expression. I don't know about you, but I wonder when it's, I I just often wonder what it's going to be like when we get to see him for who he is. And for us, that we'll be there at the judgment seat of Christ with all of our differences. I was asked a very difficult question this week. Matter of fact, yesterday. So what will we be wearing? So how do we take what we've heard today from Paul's letter and apply it to us? Well, I want to leave you three things real quickly. Number 1. We should be we should seek in our lives each day to be an encourager of the faith. an encourager of the faith is everybody on the same plane no is everybody on the same level no different maturity levels of the faith yes what we need to do is we need to step down sometimes and listen and stop and see where they are evaluate what's taking place encourage them in the faith Encourage them to, to come alongside of them and to encourage them in the faith. If, if the church today needs, needs more of anything else, I think it's encouraging in the faith. It's not over. It's not over. Number two, we need to understand the capabilities of the tempter so that we know how to guard against them. In other words, to not be duped. I'll be, listen, I'll be honest with you, okay? I'll confess to you. There are times when I have been duped and fall for it. My daddy used to tell me this all the time. He said, son, if it sounds too good to be true, then it ain't true. And I'd say, how do you know that? Unless you try it. All it takes is once or twice to try it and realizing that there was a lot of wisdom there. That's exactly what Satan wants you to believe. He paints a picture that's too good to be true. And then number three. I guess it's in the form of a question. So what are you aiming for today? What are you aiming for today? What are you aiming at today? We're all aiming at something. We're all aiming for something. But I will say this, if God is not, if God is not the aim, then you're aiming in the wrong direction. Verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do.